y'all. I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, Get Out receives a nomination in the drama category at the Golden Globes, not comedy or musical. White women stop failing at the polls. And Greta Gerwig and Patty Jenkins are nominated for Best Director at the Golden Globes. Hello! Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Beaver Talk. Erin! Hi! Oh my gosh, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, it's nice to have you back on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. You know, it's great to be back, back in my city. Yeah, we missed you. Did you? I missed you. I think New York has a way of not really missing anyone, but I know deep down <laughs> that she was kind of, she was sad about it. I feel like I kept like walking into like weird um, imagery of the Statue of Liberty and like the Empire State Building and like when you're away and you see that kind of stuff, it's like, it feels so far away. I was like, oh. Yeah. So where did you go? Well, um, I went, I'm part of the American Film Showcase, which is a part of the state the government, State Department. I always want to add government in that. I know. You really got to get this down. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And um, basically, they send documentary filmmakers to remote embassies to kind of create and foster diplomacy as like a way for people in other countries to kind of understand and get more familiar with American culture, American life, American issues just to kind of make it feel a little bit more relatable. You know, I went to two countries that don't view America um, in the same way a lot of the world does. And um, so basically my job was to kind of just show the show Dream Girl um, and then do a Q&A after the film, just about the film, you know, and, and also they had questions about like American life and American culture. Um, and I went to Tajikistan, a couple of different towns in Tajikistan, for those of you who... Do not have your maps in front of you, because I definitely was like, where the hell is this? Um, It's in between Afghanistan and Pakistan. And then I went to Cairo, um, which is the city in Egypt. So two crazy and totally different places to be. Um, I was gone for, I feel like it was like 18 days or something. Yeah, you were gone forever. A huge chunk of... I feel like I left the day after Thanksgiving and then now we're like dropped into the middle of December and I'm like freaking out with all my Christmas preparations and stuff. Yeah. And before that, I mean, you went to Dubai at the end of October. Yeah. So you went to Dubai, you came back to Brooklyn, you went to Tajikistan, you went to Cairo. Mm -hmm. It's been a whirlwind. Totally. How are you feeling? I feel really good, honestly. I feel like I had a bit of like, if I'm being totally honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) And this is where we are, totally honest. I had like a bit of a mental breakdown going to Tajikistan because it's a 30-hour flight, 30-hour like chopped up flights. And it was two red eyes back to back. Oh my gosh. No, I don't do red eyes. I don't sleep on flights. I don't feel comfortable. Like I just, I can't, I'm not one of those people. I can't do it. Yeah. And I knew that going into it, and I knew the heaviness of that. And, like, when you are walking into a two-red-eye situation, the anxiety was already so intense for me. Um, And I ended up, like, sobbing hysterically in an airport in Istanbul because, truly, I was so tired. And I remember, like, journaling and just being, like, having, like, a full-blown, like, I'm just going to have to release 
whatever is happening and like create space for whatever adventures and craziness I'm about to get into. Um, so I feel like that was very cathartic thing to do. Um, but a really wild way to kind of start this crazy trip, um, where essentially I'm working every single day. Yeah. Um, you were like hosting screenings and workshops and like, you know, having to be so on for the entire time. Yeah. And also like when you're, I had two, um, really great embassy hosts, um, and not to say that you can't like be yourself, but I do feel like a certain amount of professionalism when I'm working, when I'm representing the film. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it was a lot of on time for sure. Amazing. And then, oh my gosh, the moment you were posting from the pyramids, I think a little part of my heart just leapt out of my body. I know. I think it's I so funny sobbing. that <laughs> I was actually sobbing. My mom like texted me like screenshots as if I don't follow you on Instagram. My mom like <laughs> sent me like screenshots of your like Instagram post and was like, our girl is at the pyramids. Yeah, I love everything. I love that you guys felt so um, validated by that. Oh, it was like, it was crazy. We did like, it's so iconic. And you're like, right here. And you're, you know, obviously, one of my very close friends. So to see you experience something that I mean, everybody. Yeah, I feel like it's such a common dream to go to that space. Absolutely. Um, It was definitely one of the highlights of being in Egypt, for sure. I mean, I will say the programming um, and the two women, Katie and Aya, who organized from the American embassy in Egypt, did such a phenomenal job um, getting into gender conversations, having conversations around specifically feminism with college students, like really gave me the space to explore gender there. And um, but going to the pyramids was absolutely like a highlight and the crazy thing is they let me go inside of the great pyramid and this was nuts because nobody is there like we're the only ones who were there like maybe we ran into like three or four other people you know but nobody's there and basically you go to like the base of the pyramid and it was so cloudy you couldn't even see the top of it it's so big so creepy And then there's like these huge stones and you have to like crawl up them. You have to maybe like seven stones high. And then basically like you go into this little hole and there's like a, it's like almost like you feel like you're in a cave for maybe 20 feet. And then all of a sudden it's just a stairway straight up and it's not like a stairs. It's like a ladder, like a wooden ladder, kind of like a drawbridge kind of thing. Like you're supported on both sides and you're kind of just hiking you feel like up maybe 120 feet, just straight up. And then you're in the tomb, you crawl right in. And so it's kind of crazy too. You feel like, shouldn't we be going further to get to the base of this? Um, So it's very shocking. And the room itself is only like maybe 30 feet by 30 feet. It's small. It's pitch black. This is the room of the tomb? Yeah. Oh my God. And it was so, so cool. And you totally felt like the energy of, I don't know if it was like the history or like the spirituality of it. Like a lot of people go there to meditate and to kind of reflect like it. And our tour guide was like, if you're into that kind of thing, like touch the walls, touch the limestone, like feel the energy. And I will say like when we walked into it, because you have to literally crawl into the tomb, the doorway is really small. Um, You're, I almost felt like my breath was like it almost took your breath away and my heart started racing and it was it almost felt like you were in a haunted house like someone's gonna jump like you felt like there were a hundred people in that room it was really crazy wow and I will say 
we didn't know this at the time. And this is, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. And I don't know if I actually would have done it, but the, so the tomb is like a bathtub. It's like a, you know, 10 foot long. Like it looks like almost like a stone. That's the shape of it. And you can get into it. So the sarcophagus is out of it. You know, there's nothing in it. So it's this big empty. And I guess people will go in and meditate inside the tomb. And Nestor and I, who I went to the pyramids with from the American Film Show, has kept looking inside of it and like, being can like, "Can we? Can we?" Yeah, like you, <laughs> it's interesting. Like your body is drawn to it. Mm. Like you really are. And had I known we were allowed to do it, because it was like, "Can we do this?" We just we had no idea. And then afterwards, everyone was like, "Did you get in?" And I was like, "Oh, we we messed up not getting in." But next time, next time when you go to the pyramids, <sighs> yeah incredible well there's i mean you hear about this all the time of like even like when archaeologists were like first kind of discovering all of the like um all the different spiritual aspects in the pyramids like there was a lot they had like emotional hangovers and Mm. like people talked about on digs of like just feeling a lot of gravity towards like the artifacts they were finding and the rooms and spaces they were going into and like there was a lot of care given to honor the like spirituality of the space and Mm -hmm. you hear a lot about that so that's very that's so powerful yeah and just kind of understanding the architecture of it too Mm -hmm. is really crazy like it's like three million stones and they're huge 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 stone you're just like the the mathematics of it don't make sense either um i i need to maybe over the holidays do some um documentary watching i'm sure there's tons of stuff that i can dig into yeah we should make a egyptian queen movie (laughs) Well, it's interesting. Just One of the pharaohs, um, I can't remember if I'm getting, no, this is the story. One of his wives, I was trying to think if I was confusing it with a Tajikistan myth, but one of the pharaoh's wives, and also this could not be true. We're just going to go real light here roll on, it, on what it. this story is. Beaver talk. We so leave anyway, a lot of space. Um, during a battle, the husband dies. So the wife starts to rule secretly for like a decade because she doesn't want the army to know that they're king is down be bad for morale so she runs the army and the generals and and wins this war and then is like well i did this so like i'm just gonna keep ruling and then the pharaohs that were too ahead of her basically tried to erase her from history (gasps) got rid of her monuments like took all her shit down like what it was a very so yeah they did have one really really predominant um woman who was kind of in control in that space, but she was, as we are, erased <laughs> from I mean, this history. this has never happened before. I'm so shocked to hear it. I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> well, that's incredible. That's so amazing that you had this experience. I mean, Dubai, Tajikistan, and Egypt in the span of a month and a half is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's funny, too, because I remember setting the intention with the Dream Girl Tour, and I don't know if you remember this, but I remember specifically us saying, like, okay, the first year is going to be in the States, and the second year is going to be international. And we really had no idea what we were planning or talking about, or if there would be any interest in the film globally. Um, And so it is pretty cool that it's kind of come to fruition in this way of, like, oh, like, actually, you know, and especially through the American Film Showcase you know, they're constantly trying to send me places. So we'll see kind of what happens this year too. Maybe another trip is in the books. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what's so exciting is like, it's still, you can still screen Dream Girl and you're obviously still a part of the showcase. So it's like, it's just going to keep rolling. Keep on rolling. I feel South America coming for you. Really? I do. Well, we'll see. Putting it out there. How was your, uh, how was being here and being 
Anything new or exciting happening in New York? Just holding it down, going to see a lot of movies, you know? Mm-hmm. We have a lot to, we have a lot of media to cover. Yeah. I feel like for everybody listening, Erin and I haven't really talked about anything in the media for like a month. So this is the download. I know, actually. And I feel like we missed a lot of like cultural, um, you know, like pop stuff too that I have notes for that I'm going to pull up. But I will cultural also say... Cultural pop stuff? Do you mean popular culture <laughs> stuff? Sure, whatever. <laughs> um, also, if people... I, I also just want to plug that like um, I'm writing like a deep dive article, which Diana did edit for um, my blog and for Feminist Wednesday about both of the cultures. So... I mean, we could talk for like hours about it, but, and there's more stuff we want to get into. But if people want to know what the two cultures were like, they can kind of look, look up feministwednesday.com and just check it out. Good plug. Thank Great you. Great segue. <laughs> um, I want to start off, I feel like we're kind of going to get into now all the things that we've been watching and absorbing and thinking about. Yeah. I want to start off by giving the biggest shout out to Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. Yes. A thousand percent. I love. Kent, did you see this movie? Not yet. Get it together. Oh my god. I love. He's already it. seen Star Wars, but Lady Bird hasn't been on the table yet. <sighs> That's understandable. I feel like we all have we all have our things. All right. It's fine. All right. Um, I love this movie. This is like not an unpopular opinion. This movie is like the highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a website I've never actually been to. <laughs> and, it's, I mean, it's getting like across the board so much love and affection. Mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig did not receive a Golden Globe nomination for Best Director, which is extremely infuriating. Yeah. Um, but Sarah Ronan is so believable as an American teenager. Mm-hmm. I like, I was absolutely overjoyed to watch her on screen. It literally yeah. felt like I was watching my like high school years with my mom. My mom and I weren't as like, we didn't have that much animosity. Mm-hmm. Did you and your mom get along in high school? Yeah. Yeah. My mom and I were very connected, but we still, I love the scene where she's like picking out the dress for. Yeah. And they like start in a fight and then by the end, <laughs> they're like totally over it. Yeah. And she's just like, oh my God, I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think what I loved is it just like gave so much permission to experiencing all of the emotions as they come up and as they arise. And I loved it. I just thought it was like. And her dad in it, yeah, is such a sweet soul. Yeah, it was great. It was I so think good. Greta. Th- I think this movie, if anything, for me shows that she has a thousand more stories in her because yeah. I felt like it almost felt like they were. I mean, they were doing the life's the. I guess we're seeing a year through this girl's eyes, mm-hmm. um, but it almost felt like each of those plot lines could have been an entire movie. Yeah, and I'm excited to kind of see what other stories she wants to tell and. Um, yeah, it was really, and even kind of the naivete of like being a young person who doesn't understand the sacrifices your parents are making Yeah. when she sits in that room and they want to, you know, figure out how to, you know, make it for her school. And she's just oblivious. And I loved the joy of not the joy of that, but the honesty of that, of like, wow, like these parents are, you know, just making it work. Yeah. Um, and I'm obsessed with that woman who plays her mother. She's also in an HBO show that um I can't remember the name of but it where she plays a hospice doctor and it's phenomenal and you see Nash is in it and it's it's really it's a dark comedy and it's great and she's incredible wow yeah I just the ensemble performance of everything was really really well 
constructed and so thoughtful. And I loved her best friend who's played by <gasps> yes! uh, Jonah Hill's sister. Yes, 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 and yes. And he wrote such loving things about the film. I mean, I'm, it's, he's promoting it for like his sister, but he, like it, there was obviously so much like he- That's Jonah Hill's sister? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Cause isn't her brother, what's her full name? Do we know? I wish I could remember. Gosh, we're just going to botch this up. <laughs> but I think her other brother is also famous. I think he's the one that is um, doing Dear Evan Hansen. He's oh my the gosh. Lead. I think they come from a very Oh maybe oh maybe half Ben Platt, I think is his okay. name. Amazing. We could totally this could be wrong and everyone could be like You know, we're just leading we're you taking do? your hand and we're leading you down the beaver tail <laughs> the beaver tail slide. <laughs> the beaver tail path. Um, um but yeah, Lady Bird, I think that's probably my favorite movie of the year. I'd like to see it again, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I think that it's I almost felt like I really liked it, but I didn't like, I wasn't, it was almost so much that I felt like I needed to see it a couple more to really get it. Do you know what I mean? Not to get it, but to appreciate it maybe more. I felt so emotional after that movie. Mm. My, I went and saw it with my boyfriend and we both went for, we went for dinner afterward and we like, we just like, I just like cried at dinner. I was like, so I don't know what it released. Yeah. It released like some serious emotion for me Mm -hmm. and her whole dream of like going to, she talks about like going to, uh, like the New York tri-state area because that's where cultured artists are. And Mm -hmm. like, she's just so sweet. And I, yeah, Greta Gerwig needs to make a movie a year for the next like 20 years. Totally agree. I want all the content from that woman. For sure. Frances Ha is like one of my absolute favorite films of all time. So this um, is great. I also saw, just saw her on the plane in 20th Century Woman. I mean, she does great work. Yeah. Like you can't go wrong with watching a film that she's in. Yeah. And so much grace. Like she just has, she carries herself in such a way that really inspires me. Mm. Um, as a female creator, she's just, she just puts her head down and does the work. Okay. You just led me into another question for you. If I may, um, we had a conversation about Lena Dunham. Oh boy! Speaking of female creators, <laughs> and our need to divest from them, and I, I thought what you said about her was really interesting. I'd love for you to. No, I'm like trying to remember what I said about her. <laughs> um, just about how we got to move on. Yeah, I think it's become indefensible. Hmm. I and you and I have talked about this before. I was very inspired by her mm-hmm. as a creator, as somebody who wants to make her own content, as somebody who wants to write, direct one day. Mm-hmm. Um, Lena Dunham was definitely a person who really I looked up to. And what's now happened over the last, I mean, her entire career, I feel like there's something every two months that comes out, but really since Girls has ended and now, um, the accusations against her about being racist and exclusionary through Lenny letter. Um, yeah. And even her defending the writer in her writer's room <clears throat> when people came out and said, you know, he has sexually assaulted us. And she said, well, you know, we could be getting this wrong after she wrote that New York times piece about how <clears throat> we need to believe women. Excuse me. I thought that was really like, what are we doing here? She just has, she's like a Gwyneth Paltrow for me. Not that Gwyneth Paltrow has any, <laughs> extremely serious allegations against her, but she's a very well-hated woman. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Gwyneth Paltrow is like, she just is who she is, mm-hmm. but what she is is kind of unacceptable as yeah. like this very privileged, beautiful white woman. But I think what Lena Dunham, the difference for me is that Lena Dunham is not what you see is what you get. Mm. 
I think there's a lot of darkness there. And I think that there's a lot of exploitation there. Well, I think for me, you know, she's Janet Mock interviewed her for her um choking her, over here. Her podcast. Are you okay? Are you choking? Can I help you? <laughs> yeah, I'm fighting a cold. Sorry to all the listeners. Oh boy. <clears throat> Just gonna die. Um, but basically Janet Mack talks about kind of the controversy that happened at the Met Ball and Lena Dunham, when she gave Lena Dunham the opportunity to talk about it, Lena Dunham kind of sputtered her wheels and then said, Janet, like, can't you just tell me what, what it is? Like the learning there of like actually not doing the work and understanding, um, how offensive some of her comments have been and why they are historically. I think that for me is, is like how could you not do the work and how could you not want to be an ally and how could you, you know, be in this place of, um, you know, privilege, especially as a creator, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty insane. And I think it's really heartbreaking that, um, exactly what you said, what you see is not what you get. Um, that she, and it's, it's such a hit to the feminist movement too, of like, this is somebody who could have had a great impact, who could be, you know, a great ally and just isn't. And that's a real, but in many ways, this is how it goes with white women. Mm-hmm. And I always think about Gloria Steinem, you know, after the election last year when 53 or 56 or whatever percent of white women voted for Trump, Gloria Steinem was asked about it. And she said, white women have never been allies. Mm-hmm. When well, we she, saw that in Alabama. Absolutely. Holy shit. I mean, she said when she released Ms. Magazine, they had like something like a 60, 60 some percent approval rating for black women. And like a 30% approval rating from white women. Mm-hmm. And she said, this has never, they have never been, we cannot rely on them. Yeah. And for those of us who are willing to do the work and those of us who do want to do better, create equality, empower women, empower women of color, um, we can no longer look up to these women. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't want to associate with them anymore. Yeah. It's um, like Taylor Swift. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. So, you know, with the whole Met Gala thing and the whole Janet Mock interview, I read this incredible article that was released that was like how Lena Dunham has created a career of apologizing. Mm-hmm. She's just constantly saying sorry. Yeah. But not actually doing anything to understand why you should A, stop this behavior and B, do better by your fans, do better by your art, do better by your coworkers, your peers, mm-hmm. everyone. In the same way that Taylor Swift has made a career out of playing the victim. Yes. And there's definitely, they're speaking, definitely connected. And only speaking up for feminist issues when they apply to her. I mean, Taylor Swift doesn't even speak up for feminist issues. Yeah. Taylor Swift is about Taylor Swift. Right. And, and selling records. I absolutely. Think, I think a lot of that is, has to do with her machine. But who cares? It doesn't matter. No, I think totally. we're, in a, we're in an age of political awareness where, you know, there was a time I would say about, you know, not so much as 10 years ago where you wouldn't see lead actresses speaking out against the president. You wouldn't see lead actresses taking on black lives matter. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't see women in public spaces being even allowed or empowered to use their voice and, and take sides on these issues. Mm -hmm. And you see Gal Gadot speaking out against sexism when she's starring in a movie with Ben Affleck and you see like big changes these are huge changes mm-hmm. in Hollywood um this would not have been tolerated in another time that would have been in their contract that you are not talking about this right so right. for Lena Dunham and Taylor Swift and these women to just continue I mean Lena Dunham isn't not using her voice she's using it inappropriately and mm-hmm. harmfully yeah 
um, it's unacceptable. And right. it doesn't break my heart because what it shows me is that the image I had of her mm-hmm. is not actually what she is. Hmm. And I love the concept of girls. I love what that, I will always love what that show kind of empowered me to do. Mm-hmm. But I have to break it from who she is. Yeah. We have to. And, and you only get so many chances up until the point where it just becomes unacceptable. Right. Well, I mean, since we've last talked about Harvey Weinstein, there have been so many, I mean, if everybody from Matt Lawler to Jeffrey Tambor, like it, it has really, it's continued to be such an intense um, time for, for people in media and, and for men who continue to like fuck up and for us, you know, to be in a space where we're giving women the space to own their truth. And it is a shame that somebody who has um, had a platform and has been, like you said, speaking up, but for almost using her voice in a way that's <laughs> inappropriate and destructive, it totally destruct destructive. Yeah, it's not like we haven't given her a chance. You know, it's not like we're throwing her under the bus because now this is like... Right, right, we, right. We're mad about something. It's like, mm-hmm. this is now... You, there's no longer time to give space in the media to these kinds of voices. Right, right. And I would love to be wrong about it, but yeah. this... When, some, when a woman actually says, I don't want to give you... You don't deserve our words if you don't respect our... Experiences. Being, experiences... Yeah. <laughs> that yeah that says everything you need to and know. i feel like women of color since they've been such leaders in the movement and i feel like when i'm lost in the feminist space i look to women of yeah. color to really tell, tell us what's going on yeah. as we know historically <laughs> white women have not been in the forefront of historically what's accurate and right yeah um when she said women of color we need to divest i was like oh man yeah. we got to get out of here yeah like i was i took that as a real um as a real call absolutely oh man um, so much to go into. I, I also just want to talk briefly. This is so lame, but we've both watched The Christmas Prince, which I feel like we should. What a segue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was not graceful at all, but I have so many things on my list. We can't spend all of our time talking about Lena Dunham. Women we divest onto The Christmas Prince. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Christmas Prince was great. Also, Netflix just released another movie called The Christmas Inheritance, which I watched last night. And oh my god, it's not good. Don't watch that one. Because The Christmas Prince was just incredible. I mean, it wasn't actually good, but at least it had like a plot. Like this one just is. It's you know what it is. It's like um, a liberal man. It, it felt very like the GOP wrote The Christmas Inheritance around this party girl from New York has to go down. Um, to a small town to learn real American values. Oh my God. It was, it felt very, um, what's the word? Propaganda? Yes. It felt. Wow. (laughs) So watch watch it immediately. Watch it with care, but. Yeah. Anyway, I loved that Netflix was harassing people. Netflix is people just fucking up. There's Twitter. some weird stuff happening with Netflix. But they, it's so cute. They were like um, tw- tweeting people and being like, we saw you watch this movie 12 times. Are you okay? Who hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Um, there's like a certain love that I have right now for like corporations tweeting very just, sassy things. Of course. Wendy's is absolutely incredible for it. They're just, they throw shade all the time at like Burger King and McDonald's. It's great. They've hired some like sassy millennial to do it. And I love it. Too good. Yeah. Um, I also want to plug that um, Tina Brown's Vanity Fair Diaries, they're turning into a mini series from the creators of Big Little Lies. I think that'll be incredible. I can't wait. Actually, someone just sent me the book to review for Feminist Wednesday. So 
What? I will read it and give it to you. Thank you. Yeah, people keep signing me books for some reason. I don't know why. So stressful. (sighs) I know. Um, Also, these are the movies (laughs) I saw on the plane. (laughs) Jackie. Oh, wow. What a movie. Stunning, stunning, stunning stunning film. If you want to read a review of it, stop on Feminist Wednesday. Um, I saw The House. Feminist Wednesday traffic is going to blow up after this episode. I'm sure it is. We didn't Um, plan this, Beaverettes. This is literally just the space. Yeah. Um, The house was okay. I don't know what that is. It was fine. Will Ferrell. Yeah. I slept through it. It was fine. Um, Planet of the Apes. Cool. What else did you watch? (laughs) Did you see that, Kat? Yeah. It was it was pretty good. I liked it. Um, I saw Spider Man, the new one. And that did you see that movie? Like 18th iteration. It was great. Was Zendaya? The lead in it was adorable. Is that the one with Zendaya? Yes. Okay. But she kind of plays a side character. I think she'll be a main in the next one. They're dating. In real life? Yes. Love it. Are they like, you know when like you're so young and you go through a big thing with someone? It's like what happened with Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens. You just date. Justin Bieber like, and what's right. her name? You date because like who the hell else is going to understand what just happened? I completely agree. It's like, I mean, and this is what happened with Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield when they played Spider-Man and Mary Jane. Or Mary Jane? I like that we look at Kent to be like, oh my God, I don't even know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Sometimes I just really fly without a net on this thing. Um, <laughs> um, I want to give a huge shout out to, oh, it just like went straight out of my brain. I have it written Prince down. Harry. She's got to have it. Can we talk about she's got to have it? Oh, man. So people hate it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I liked it. I really liked it as well. I really liked it. The only thing I didn't really like is I felt, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I felt like the one, there was one romantic um, storyline that I felt like wasn't fully built out. And so I wasn't rooting for that person. So then when everything kind of went in the way of that person, I felt like we needed more information. They kind of wrote it out as like an inconvenient storyline. Yeah, I felt like we could have had one more episode just about their relationship so that Absolutely we like agree. got it. Um, but otherwise, I thought I thought the woman who played the teacher oh. was incredible. I thought the casting was really good. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I read a lot of reviews about it. A lot of women have not liked it. Mm-hmm. And I think what I suggest with a show like this, Spike Lee's always a talking point for people. Mm-hmm. He never really seems to get it right unanimously. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think you have to watch it and just like have your opinions about it. I think it's one of those shows that like, it's a great talking point. It's a Mm -hmm. great place to jump off of and like get into these issues and like talk about why you like it, why you don't like it. Mm -hmm. Like argue about it with your friends, like get into it. I think it's a great piece of media because it starts conversations. And I think that that's what I, when I was watching it, all I wanted to do was like talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't know how I feel in some cases and other cases I really know how I feel. And I think that's a great... I think that speaks very highly of a piece of art when it kind of is this place of contention. Yeah. I also like that they kind of bounced from being like, what was the lead character's name again? Do you remember? Nola. (laughs) Yes. Nola. Nola Darling. Nola Darling. I like that they like put her in a place of power in one episode. Then the next episode, she's a mess. Then Mm -hmm. the next episode, like I felt like her character was very dimensional. Although I will say the, like the plot of her kind of, finding herself it i i could see definitely problematic themes her Um, sexual identity was an interesting yeah theme yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. I think it's like, I think women should watch it and talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think it would be a really, I'd love to know what like some, it's funny. It's like, it was one of those shows where I'm like, I want to know what so-and-so would think about this. Or I want to know what so-and-so would say about this. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to know, like, I don't feel like anybody is watching it. Yeah. I think people are. I don't think so. Ava DuVernay is watching it. Ava DuVernay watches everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Amazing. I also just want to say one note before we wrap up here um, about Gwen Stefani. I know we have very different opinions about this. I can't believe I can't believe we're not on the same page about it. Well, I just I just want everyone to know I'm praying for her. And I I don't know what that means. I watched this clip of her and Blake Shelton doing the. Also, why is he the man of the year or whatever? Sexiest man alive. What's Blake going Shelton. on? Is this like an effect where like he's dating someone who's pretty and it shines a light and makes him seem more attractive? This is Trump's America. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Midwest magazine. Uh-huh. Focusing on a Blake very Shelton. specific couldn't audience. Couldn't do better than, like couldn't, I don't know. Anyway. Um, Idris Elba and just, you know, Army Hammer. Like there are many men who exist in the world. I just want People Magazine to take note. There's a really funny episode of Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 where she gets James Vanderbeek on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing. And they do like a whole thing about people. And um, it's a really great. I know you don't like that show either, but. I used to love. I hate that show. But I loved the mythology around Sexiest Man Alive. Like when actors would like outwardly like campaign to be Sexiest Man Alive. There's such mm-hmm. a like poking fun at it i feel like it's not what it used to be though. it's not what it used to be because they started naming they started making really questionable choices about it yeah it started to feel very motivated as opposed to very fun mm-hmm. and like when it was like talked about like winning best actor at the oscars is not as good as winning sexiest man alive and like <laughs> stuff like that is so fun and when they did this it was just and maybe i'm just getting old but i was like Blake, like they're really having a moment, Do and I don't get why. Do you think teenage girls really care about Blake Shelton? Absolutely this is a great not. question. Absolutely, it's just not. whoever's probably buying that magazine. Right. Oh, this is totally like we're looking at our demographics. Yeah. Well, anyway, she did a duet with Blake Shelton, the "Make It Feel Like Christmas" song, which she's been promoting the fuck out of, and like, wow, her PR people. I love her costume. Starbucks, she's Nordstrom. So pretty. Oh my god, the styling that she's, she's doing. So pretty. All of her people are just on point. Yeah. Um, and she looks so happy, like to the point where I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna kill myself if he cheats on her, which he probably already is. When? Oh, I just can't. <laughs> she's been through so much. I'm like really devastated. I'm. I, I, I feel very. We need to make a movie about Gwen when all of this shakes out. Mm. I think there's a lot going on there that we're not seeing. This feels like a big act to me, and I don't know why Ooh. she feels the need to act. Yeah, It feels very performative. Ooh, I like because it. Because it is so public-facing. Yeah. If you're in a really solid relationship, I uh-huh. mean, these people, their whole lives are in the public sphere, and that's just how it is, but mm-hmm. there is an aspect to this where it is showboating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what's... Well, maybe it's like for her ex-husband to be like... He doesn't care. I he doesn't hate- care. Gavin Rossdale doesn't care. <sighs> He's moved on. Yeah. You, you bet... You rebounded with blake shelton yeah i hope he listens to this podcast and i hope he feels bad don't hurt her don't hurt her blake <laughs> i'm watching you yeah i really want her to be with like a i mean i know he's married but like a pharrell level <gasps> person oh that'd be cool they used to collaborate all the time and i really was hoping that they were together for a while hmm. well you never know maybe they had a i'm holding space for that another big shout out i want to give is call me by your name which is an incredible movie out right now that Mm -hmm. everybody should go see. I can't wait to see it. It's gorgeous. One of the best films of the year. 
absolutely heartbreaking. And I want everybody to see it. Cool. Well, thanks, Diana, for uh, chatting with me this morning. Thanks, Kent. Of course, this thanks. has been a lovely catch-all. Thanks, New York, for taking me back. We're watching you, Blake Shelton. Attention, Springwood. My name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. <laughs> they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one uh, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey... Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!